we're going to keep the theme of interviewing people who are considerably more accomplished or intelligent than me uh, today going by chatting to Baseball Australia board member Jessica Goddard. Jessica, thank you very much for coming on and giving us your time. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to have a chat. We... Uh, we've, Baseball Australia is launching their na- uh, national participation plan. I think we started promoting it on a um, social media level today. Uh, CEO Glenn Williams has done a podcast talking about uh, participation and we really wanted to focus in on the female side of the game and having spoken to a female umpire and a, a female baseball player who um, is also in the Hall of Fame, we thought it'd be really opportunistic to speak to a female administrator. Now, your background... Um, is extensively in sport and and just chatting offline you were very quick to admit that baseball is not your uh, your core sport but you've come to the game of baseball um, from a, a a director's perspective what is it that drew you to the baseball australia board opportunity i think what drew me to that opportunity was that it was a sport very different to the one that i actually currently work in, which is rugby league. And I felt that it would be an incredibly opportunity for myself to gain some experience, but to also, I guess, um, bring across some of my knowledge and experience from quite a big major sport in Australia um, to baseball. So both from like a a challenge opportunity, um, but also, yeah, what what I could potentially offer and I, I think the other thing that also um, drew me to um, jump on onto the board was that it was a sport that in the past um, has been in the Olympics. It's funded quite differently to how NRO is funded. Um, there is a, a, a national elite competition, but it is inherently structurally quite different to NRL. So it was a really great opportunity just to um, get involved in in a in still in sport, but in a sport different to what I'm used to. I really like the fact that it, the millions of dollars in director's fees wasn't the thing that drew you to, to baseball. For <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> so love of the game, as we like to say. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, but I'd, I'd really be interested um, – I'd be really interested to delve into your background as um, a female who is in sports administration. Sport has traditionally been a male-dominated domain, both on the field, um, particularly at the professional level, and from an administrative capacity. How did you find your way into sport, and what is it that what is it that drew you to working within sport? Um, I always have played sport, whether it be a team sport or individual, um, you know, the love of being outdoors. Um, but during uh, my teenage years and into my 20s, you know, I, I've been in a, in a soccer, soccer team, I guess. And the feeling I get from surrounding myself with those women and my teammates is something that I don't feel you um you can get anywhere else to be honest so there is there is something inherently different about being in a team sport and playing a team sport and that was I guess part of the reason that drew me to to working in sport and that great sense of team and um 
you know, sort of all coming together to deliver on something pretty amazing. And initially I, you know, I studied, um, I, I did study in sport, but initially I, I did a leisure management degree and, and, it, and it sort of um, enabled me to look at numerous different industries of which I, I did end up landing in sport. But it's, um, I think it's it's just been a part of me and my upbringing and my world since I was incredibly young. And so it, it just made sense to continue along that trajectory. I did warn you offline that I was the king of the tangent. And one thing you just mentioned there, yep. I was really <laughs> interested to just ask you a couple more questions about. But you come, yeah. you come from a sporting background having played soccer and you talked about yep. the camaraderie. And one of the things um, – we've chatted on other podcasts about with female sport is for a lot of females, it's the draw of the team is that the team is the magnet. And I was just interested to talk to someone who, you know, you referenced the camaraderie, but what do you see the difference? Why do, why do females tend to value the team camaraderie? Whereas the men can sometimes be a bit more transient in terms of jumping from team to team. Is it, is there something, is there a difference there? Why does that happen? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, oh, I'd have to think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that there's that social element, I guess, when, um, when it comes to being a part of a team and the notion of, you know, really being there in that supportive role and look, I guess stereotypically you might find females are more aligned with that sort of type of type of behaviour. And but even it's it doesn't even necessarily come down to the actual game itself. Um, you know, I I would love to play the game of soccer. I look forward to that every week. But I'd also really look forward to that time after the game where, you know, we sit down, crack a beer and, you know, have a good yarn and, a, you know, even watch the game after, afterwards and then also going away, you know, on an end-of-season trip and, and having that time, um, you know, uh, sort of free of any other responsibility or obligation where you can just sort of be you. I think, it's, I think women are also inherently um, – this is again. I feel like it's incredibly stereotypical type of <laughs> comment, but um, you know, accepting and welcoming and um, and approachable, and so that that environment, I guess, enables a female to be comfortable in their own skin, to be who they want to be, and when everyone else around them is, I guess, um, accepting of that. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah, I think it could be a different podcast, but one of the things I think in talking to coaches and, and club administrators is there's an element of nutcasey parent a little bit where, um, and it happens, it seems to happen more on the male side where, oh, I think my son is a bit better. I'm going to pick them up and move them. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you were you're a one club person and you, you didn't move and it's, I think that's changing. And I think having sat and looked at it as a parent of daughters, um, there's also a little, there's fewer options to just pick up a daughter and move them to, um, you know, like baseball is a great example. There's not many other clubs that have female baseball. So you can't just pick them up and move them. And and I think the girls tend to move, if they move, the whole team moves, not one player. And I think it's that 
I like playing with my peers. I'm going to move with them. So, yeah, as I said, we could probably yep. talk for 45 minutes on that alone, but I, I've got <laughs> other things that we need to talk to you about. So, um, I, yeah, so you, you find yourself in, in the, the sporting industry. What is it that – what keeps you in it? Obviously, you could, you know, aside from the millions of dollars in director's fees you make with Baseball Australia, what what is it? And there, there's obviously more money normally in the commercial space doing the type of work that, mm. that you do, but what is it that keeps you – locked into the sporting space? What do you enjoy about it now? I I enjoy the intensity of, of some of the moments we get to experience and the excitement and the, um, you know, I, I guess being part of the, the, the team or the group, you know, the blood, sweat and tears that actually deliver something that is incredibly exciting and incredibly um, valuable to whether it be a fan or community or, you know, young people, like there's, you know, that's, that's like a, a privilege to be able to, to be a part of that. And, you know, and, and I guess the context changes from, from each of my roles that I've completed, um, you know, such as I, I worked in, in an NRL club for, for a while and, being a part of that club and the highs and lows and the roller coaster and the game days and the premierships, it, you know, it, it's almost addictive to be honest in, in sort of the, it's cool. Um, and to now, you know, working at the national rugby league, it, it, I guess it's similar with major events and, and everyone pulling together um, to do something to baseball where, you know, for me, the, you know, being part of the national participation plan to, you know, really drive uh, sort of baseball at a community level and, and the experience for a young person, you know, that's that's pretty awesome to be able, able to be a part of that. So it's, it's quite, a, you know, special. So I think that's, you know, that's definitely the reason why why I've stuck, I've stuck in sport. I'll get – I do want to get to the baseball side of things, but I, I'm yeah. interested just in your career. You, you mentioned you were with a – a club being the Cronulla Rugby League uh, Rugby League Club, and yeah. that sort of intensity of we've got to push one brand. How how does it differ from representing one club to the entire sport? Yeah, obviously your affiliation changes, but um, yeah, well, and obviously it's a bigger role because you're representing the whole sport. But how how has that how has your role transitioned from one club to sort of representing the whole the whole body? Yeah, it's um, and my role has actually changed a lot within within that movement as well. So I've been focused on quite a lot of different elements. And um, you know, when when you're at a club, it's very focused. It's very um, it's very easy, I guess, to to know what the number one priority is to um, you know, ensure that everything everything you do is 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 for that club is is to get you know those those players out on the pitch every every game and to do what you can for the fans and fans and members of that club when you're working in a national sporting organization i guess the the stakeholders change the lens changes you 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 know my role now i'm I work incredibly closely with a lot of different um, different departments and people within within not only the NRL but more broadly across sort of state leagues and also in clubs, and so that um, I, you know th- that can be a challenge sometimes to determine 
and what is a priority. It's it's, it's incredible, you know, everything you're working on is incredibly important for each of those different stakeholders. Um, and so thinking about about what's the what's best for the game more broadly is probably um, is probably one of the biggest differences. You can be incredibly one eyed when you're um, when you're at a at a club, I think, and um, and selfish in the way that you uh, you um, allocate your time. However, when you're working at a national sporting organisation, it's a lot more of a broader a, a broader kind of um, a way of a way of operating. I'm going to ask you what sounds like a simple question, a couple of them, but actually they're fairly <laughs> complex answers, so brace yourself. Um, <laughs> why is it important to have women in sport? It is important to have women in sport because women make up 50% of the population. And when you're when you are delivering a sport, when you are – um, when you are governing a sport, when when you are you know putting together teams for a sport, when you're talking to members and fans, you know you you need to have a representation in sport uh, for about fifty percent of our population. It's um you know it it's important to ensure that we have the views of you know of the one of the two key key halves of, of, of Australia, I guess. So I um, don't know whether that's, you know, the, the best answer to your question, but that's, that's why it's important. <laughs> well, further to that, what difference does it make? Like if, in your experience, do female leaders in sport, do they make a difference or is leadership leadership? Like what have you, you know, because as I mentioned at the, at the outset, Sport is predominantly administered by men. Um, slowly, females are kind of creeping into those leadership ranks. Have you seen Have you seen a difference in leadership style from females in sport, and has it been beneficial? Um, yeah, I've, I have definitely seen a difference, and I do see difference, and I think that that difference is incredibly important um, to have female leaders in sport. And look, I think, you know, you can look at it from a number of different perspectives. If we just look at it, you know, from from an elite perspective, for example, in a sport um, that, you know, both baseball and rugby league that I work where it is male-dominated, to ensure that we are developing the women's game, to ensure that we are doing what we need to do at an administrative level, um, whether it be operational or policy or, or anything like that, to it is imperative that there are female leaders within the business to drive, I guess, the female agenda, to drive the, um, you know, the, the notion that, um, that women's the women's game um, is equal to that of the men's game, um, and not an afterthought. It's it's something that should be you know discussed, should be managed, should be um, should be approached uh, together rather than an afterthought. And I think that the only way to ensure we continue along the path that um, we're we're headed. So you know. I guess compared to when I started working in sport, we've come an incredibly long way, but to ensure we continue to 
to do what we need to do. We need more and more women in leadership positions in sports to, yeah, to represent. Excuse my ignorance on this one, but um, I'm mm. not a big um, I'm not a big rugby league guy. But what is female participation yep. like in in rugby league? It is it is our fastest growing um, segment in in grassroots rugby league. Uh, it is. Um, I think since as well sort of the establishment of the NRLW, we have six teams this year and we'll be jumping to 10 teams next year. It is the fastest growing area of our sport. And so even with that in mind, it's, it is the biggest opportunity for our sport, whether it be um, participation, volunteers, officials, players, the elite game, you know, the pathways, it is the growth area. So it's... um. It's an exciting time, and, actually, in rugby league. Yeah, and was that a um, was that a concerted effort from rugby league to grow that part of the game? And if so, what are the things that rugby league did that baseball could potentially copy as part of this participation uh, initiative that has been rolled out? Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's. There's. A, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, strategies and things that NRL has done um, uh, throughout the years. And again, at a, you know, a national sporting organization level, the state to, to NRL club, you know, having women's strategy, um, women's strategy positions within, within the organization to um, having, you know, different forms of the game at a grassroots level that may encourage participation uh, for women um, and, you know, from any ages. Um, you know, rugby league's done really well in that space. And um, you need to have some really, um, really uh, great partnerships with with external organisations, you know, at NRL uh, you know, our sponsors are incredibly supportive and, and work really hard alongside the NRL to grow the game. Um, you, you need, you know, it might sound quite, I guess, basic, but you, you need that governance, um, governance and policy and procedural elements in place to ensure that the, the game organisations, the, you know, the clubs are, are safe and welcoming places for, for women to be um you know there's and not to say like baseball is already you know doing a lot of these things like it's it's um i think there's a there's a a huge amount of of things that that do go on within rugby league at all different levels to to really make a concerted effort to to drive to drive the women's game you know one of the i guess not that it's a i guess it is obvious but you know you need you need investment you you it's one where not necessarily sort of just wait and see what happens. You actually have to invest um, to enable um, change in that space. One of the things you just said that is very interesting to me is like many clubs will say we've got a female program or a team or whatever, but the element that you mentioned that underpins that is it's all well and good saying you've got a team, but have you created an environment that is safe and welcoming? And mm. I'm I'm putting you on the spot, but how would a club? How does a club mm. ensure that they've created that environment? What are things they can do to do that? Because it's all, as I said, it's all well and good to say, "Hey, we've got a female team," but if the, the team doesn't feel like they're part of the club or the community, um, 
that they're not being considered, then those, and we talked about camaraderie, those those girls will just move somewhere else and they'll find some other place yeah. where they can be together and you could lose a whole team. So do you have any tips or ideas on how clubs, and I realise I'm putting you on the spot here, but just in from your um, perspective, how that might work? Yeah, I think it. There is there's quite a number of different things you could you could sort of suggest in this space, and as simple as you know, is there a female dressing room like or change room? Are there female facilities? Are they clean? Um, are they a place where you're happy for your five year old daughter to go into? You know, and 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 use like some really basic um, you know basic facility items. You. you are there other things that are, you know around club culture and and you know things to do with um, allocation of training space and training times and days and and I think it's you know I, I did I potentially mentioned it, it, it earlier but actually talking about men's and women's teams or participants players volunteers. Um, in conjunction rather than the women being the afterthought, mm. um, you know, all right, when, when it comes down to allocation, allocating training times and, and spaces for different teams, you know, not doing the men's or boys first and then the women's, you know, actually doing them together, really sort of simple things like that, you know, to ensure that um, the women also have a, a you know, a, a good time slot to come down and do their training in the evenings. Um, you, you, you know, would look at things like end of season, end of season um, presentation nights, and ensuring there's sort of equal equal amount of of awards and and representation. Um, I would feel that you you, you potentially want to. Um, encouraged quite uh, uh, sort of fifty-fifty um, split on your your club's committee in terms of men and women. Um, you know, there's there is quite a there's quite a lot of just little little things I guess you could do at sort of a grassroots community level. I've, in the soccer club that I've been involved in, like a massive um, tick was female cut uniforms like it's not one size fits yeah. all like and and that and it's so, it's so simple but yeah. it's like you have you, catered to our requirement yeah. thank you and you're like yeah, yeah. we see that a lot in rugby league like um cuz women do need you know different types of cut in a jersey like exactly that having an actual female female style or female cut uniform yeah it's a very really good point so let's talk about baseball now. And, and as you mentioned, you're excited about the uh, participation plan. What sort of heading into that planning process, where did you and where did Baseball Australia, where did you see the biggest challenges? Um, heading into that process, I feel like maybe the biggest challenge was ensuring that we captured everybody's thinking and feedback so every every state you know or, and every club that was that participated ensuring that yeah that that feedback or that consultation was done in a way that the the plan um, addressed addressed it so I, I think that we have a game 
across Australia. That is is run by some, you know, brilliant organ- state organisations that run differently with, you know, different communities, different objectives, different ways of doing things. And it's, um, I think, ensuring that everyone's voice was heard, I think, was a really key, a key element um, leading up to sort of developing the plan. Yeah, you kind of, you roll something out like this and you want to engage as many people as you can, but then you have to figure out ways that you can service as many people as you can as well. So it's trying to get that representative slice to, to be able to say, look, yeah. we, we listen to everyone and this is what we've done to address it. Where where do you yeah. think, you know, it's all well and good rolling out a strategic plan, but where do you think, and I realise I'm just hitting you with questions that you may not have had a lot of time to think about, but where do you think <laughs> baseball can get some quick wins so that, we can say, hey, we are moving the needle here. Yeah, I think there is um, some quick wins in really getting some clarity over what the programs are that are on offer and what um, what they entail. Um, so uh, ensuring that from a national level and, and while, you know, again, different state organisations may look to adopt different programs or, or different styles of the game, ensuring that it's really clear on what they are and uh, and what they're going to achieve and, and how you can get involved. So I think um, that is uh, definitely one of the quick wins. Um, I think that another quick win is actually looking um, at some of the facilities and um, sort of taking a critical eye um, to whether they meet the needs of the community and sort of the baseball communities that currently use them. Um, it's one thing, you know, to, uh, to sort of attract new participants, but it's also another thing to ensure they stay within the sport. So I think um, uh, sort of looking at it from that lens as well is, is really important. The... Um, the, one, the one area that I think all sports struggle with this is volunteering and how do you – yeah, it's mm-hmm. one – it is how do you get players onto the ground and, and onto the diamond, but how do – in this age where participation and volunteering is seems to be declining, have you seen how – has rugby done a good job of – bringing people back to the game in a volunteering capacity and, and can baseball do the same thing? Yeah, I think and a key element, and, and I guess we touched on this a little bit earlier, is involving the whole family in the club. Mm. Um, from what I've seen in rugby league and their, I guess, um, their introduction to, you know, what we would call league tag is that there are quite a number of, you know, women and, and young men and women and even, you know, older, older guys that are now involved in, in the club because there's a product there that attracts um, others to the club. So I think there's, you know, an opportunity in, in looking at, um, what is on offer and what our club does offer and how that can potentially be a stepping stone towards um, generating more interest in the club. Um, and, if, you know, 
if someone's entire family is playing a form of the game, um, it, it might make a bit more sense for that person to get involved uh, from a volunteering perspective. Um, but that's one thing that I, I guess, anecdotally um, in rugby league have seen there be quite a good level of success. I also feel that, you know, there needs, and, and we discuss this at length during the, the participation process, and that is, you know, what, when it comes to coaching, um, you know, what what level of coaching accreditation is required, you know, for the type of, of um, the type of baseball or the level of baseball and how do we, I guess, remove the barriers to sort of some of the entry-level entry, entry level coaching just so more people um, get involved. So there's a, I guess there's a big piece in that as well. You're right, though, like in the – the two other podcasts we've done with, you know, a female umpire and a female player is I started umpiring because my son was playing and, you know, someone needed to do it or I started playing because my brother and my dad were, you know, the, the, the family yeah. is the magnet and how do we how do we make the family feel welcome and how do we make people yeah. want to kind of get off the, off the sidelines and participate and if you can create safe environments where people are supported and you don't ask them to do too much um, and do the things they like doing, um, there, there is enough tasks and there are enough people to spread around. Um, following, yeah. following that, and and appreciating that I've taken a bit of your time, what advice would you give to young females about getting into the sporting industry? So not even from a volunteering capacity, in a in a professional capacity. You know, yeah. if you had your time again, what advice would you give to a younger you? It, it would be to get in there and get your work experience. And I know a lot of people probably say that regardless of what industry. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, having a, a really good understanding of an organisation or a sport um, or how a sport organisation operates is really valuable. Um, I guess secondly to that, working in in what I have found um, working in sport, and I started out actually in local government in sport, it was an incredibly great foundation for me to work um, in as a sport and rec officer in local government and have uh, contact with all the different local community sports in the area to get an understanding of sport, you know, at the grassroots level, how it works, what are the politics, you know, what what does it look like? I think that's really helped me. So it it is, you know, potentially volunteering in, you know, a, a sporting, an elite sporting club or a, a state sporting organisation or a national sporting organisation, but then also getting, you know, back to your roots, I guess, and and going down and, and you know, getting involved with the local sporting organisations. And then the only other thing I would recommend, and again, this is potentially something that, you know, many other people would say is that but find your person, like get, get acquainted with someone um, that works in sports, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a female. Um, I've had some great, you know, potentially not mentors, but sponsors over, you know, over my time in sport, in sport who, you know, who would challenge me and who would, um, 
put me up to things and, and I guess, you know, I would be accountable to them a little bit, but, but they, you know, helped me and, and gave me the confidence that I'd be able to sort of go to the next level or achieve, you know, the next step. And so once you are in sport or, you know, if you're really on the, on the cusp of, of jumping into it, like, I think having a few of those people in your corner is really valuable. Well, good to know. Any females that are interested, we'll send them your way and you'll um, <laughs> you'll have anywhere from 50 to 100 mentees um, <laughs> to look after. Jess, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate your insight and thank you for the work you're doing with um, Baseball Australia. Hopefully uh, we can get this participation plan out and start to see it take immediate effect. Thank you very much. No worries, Stu. Thanks for having me.